Holy Christ, we say hallelujah. That old Hebrew exclamation. Praise be to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. You've never failed your children. You have been a forever friend to every man, woman, and child who has come to you. And with Connie, we say hallelujah. You met us here. We didn't invite you. This is your house. We came at your invitation. You are here. Don't leave us. Stay in our midst. And as your word becomes front and center now, please call us to what you long to see yet before you come. We pray in your name. Amen. I have a story here from the March issue just a few weeks ago, the March issue of the North American Division edition of Adventist Review. Do you read Adventist Review? I hope you do. It's a wonderful, wonderful journal. It's the official organ of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm not sure which organ it is, but it's the official one. And so I, I love getting to it every week. And my favorite page is about, I think it's three pages in. It's called the Give and Take page. And it has a little section called Adventist Life where people send in stories from around the world. And this one happens to come from an Adventist named Kathleen Piper. She's living in Victoria, B.C., where she's going to her church there. One evening, she says, One evening, while I was attending a church board meeting in the basement of our church, the phone in an adjoining room kept ringing. There's nothing more distracting if you're in a committee or board, and the phone is just ring, 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 ring. Somebody answer, somebody answer. And so she answered because she was at the back of the boardroom. She said, I got up to answer it. A voice on the other end of the line asked, see, somebody's wanting somebody. A voice asked, is joy there? Without thinking, I replied, no, sir, there is no joy here. This is a church. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I often wondered if the caller got the full import of my reply. I hope not, she submits. Is joy there? No, come on, there's no joy here. This is a church, please. <laughs> But when they rang the number of the New Testament church and they said, Do you have joy? The answer was always, You got the right number, baby. We have joy here. Because the New Testament church was alive with joy. And so in our continuing spring series, I want to invite you to go to the, back to the very beginning. This marvelous, wondrous chronicle of the church in the beginning. The book of Acts. Open your Bible, please, to the book of Acts. When we began our series, last time you and I were together, Am I My Brother's Keeper? We went to the very beginning. We went to the gates just outside the Garden of Eden. But now we go to In the Beginning for the Church. The book of Acts, please. Oh, I love this. We're thinking community. I love this. How could we miss this? Chamber players, this is a wonderful story. Acts chapter 2. I'll be in the New Revised Standard Version. And let's pick it up in verse 41. All right. Those of you watching on television, we'll put the words on the screen for you right now. Verse 41. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. We just saw this beautiful baptism of Connie. Those who heard his message were baptized. Now, hold, hold it right here. Who is this his that has just given a message? Who is he? You remember? Oh, of course you do. This, you, you know, Acts chapter 2. This is the... This is the big fisherman, bold, brash, big, braggioso, Peter. 
Peter has just preached his heart out. Now, I'm, I remind you about 50, 50 days earlier, Peter in front of one teenage girl beside a roaring campfire in a courtyard. Peter fell apart. He could not say a word. But now Peter preaches to Thousands. What has happened to this man? I'll tell you what's happened to Peter. He's been to the cross of Christ and he is filled with the Spirit of Christ. And when you have the cross of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, you are never the same again. If you don't have the Spirit and you haven't been to the cross, my friend, you want to be changed? You are timid, are you? You wish to become bold for the Lord Jesus Christ? Go to His cross, ask for His Spirit and your life, boom! Radically transformed. It happened to Peter. It can happen to you. All right, so we're picking up the story now. This is verse 41. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. Can you imagine that? 3,000. Ladies and gentlemen, our membership here in the Pioneer Memorial Church is a little over 3,000. Take two times this sanctuary, because we have two services. Take two times and then have it all at once. Talking about automatic community just like that. 3,000 brand new baby Christians in, a, in an hour. Wow. Now they're going to have to have community. You can't just bring 3,000 people in the church in one hour. What, what, what are you going to do with them? Notice how they build community with these 3,000. Let's pick up the next verse. So they, these new babies in Christ, just like Connie is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Mark it down if you don't have anything in your lap. Just put it in your, put it in your brain right now. You want to know what the four essential ingredients are for building Christian community? Want to have Christian community where you are? You only need these four. Simple as pie. Just these four. One, the apostles' teaching. That's the Word. Yeah, that's the Bible. They didn't have a Gideon New Testament. They didn't even have the Old Testament. They just had teaching. That's the Word. Two, koinone in the Greek. The Word is fellowship. They had the group. They had the Word. They had the group. Then they had, it says they broke bread together. Now, that's not just the Lord's Supper. Because as we'll see in a moment, they did this from house to house. So they had the group. They had the Word. They had the bread. And they had the prayers. If you can remember those four, I'm telling you, you can start a Christian community wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school. Wow. Four simple but Essential ingredients to community. It could not be any simpler, which leads me to invite you. Please, become a committee of one and begin a community of five. Come on, anybody can do it. Do you have the four? If you have the four, you can do it as well. All right. But, but there's more here. Let's pick up uh, verse 43. And awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their positions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. There's one word that's appeared three times in what we've just read. What's that word? The word is all. In the Greek, it's panta. Pan, Pan-American, North and South America. That's Pan-American. All, all, all. I tell you what, this is community. They are bound together all because, you know what, that's what community is all about. 
all for one. And how's it go? One for all. That's not only true about the three musketeers. That's true about community in the church of Christ. All for one and one for all. What difference does community make? Read on. Verse 46, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread. There it is, see? Going from house to house, they broke bread at home and they ate their food with glad. I need to tell you that the word here, this is, a, this is an unusual word in the New Testament. Literally, it should be translated extreme joy. It's a Gen Xer word. Extreme joy. Is joy there? Oh boy, you got the right number. Joy is here. Extreme joy. I love that. They eat their, they eat their food with extreme joy and generous hearts. Finally, verse 47, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Hallelujah. And day by day, you saw it happen right here. You saw it a moment ago. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. If there's somebody in this building right now who has not been baptized into Jesus, Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, sir, I'm telling you, madam, your day is next. Why put it off? Why put it off? There is a baby that is saying, I wish I could be a part of this as well. Unfortunately, uh, 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 Father, we have to wait. But we can, we can do these beautiful baby dedications right here. That was beautiful. Well, Connie bringing her little three-year-old. All right, where were we? Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Hallelujah. Now, some of you say, well, you know, this is just a little aberration here at the beginning, this explosive kind of community. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Turn one page. Let's just look at one more passage. One more page here. Uh, this is in Acts chapter 5. Just turn a page. Maybe it's two pages for you. Acts chapter five, uh, 4, rather. Acts 4. Let's pick it up in verse 32. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. We're going to celebrate that resurrection next weekend. It ought to be with great joy and great power. They gave testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them all. Look at verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Finally, verse 35, they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. How's that go? All for one and one for all. You know what, folks? That, 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 that sounds an awful like, like communism, doesn't it? I mean, come on. It sounds like communism. In fact, did you know this? The word communism and the word community have the identical root in Latin. The Latin word, is, the root is communis. Communis, it means common, belonging together. You say, oh, Dwight, what's the big deal about communism? It's dead and gone, no longer around. Boy, what did you do, sleep through this last week? Communism, the world's most populous nation, China, is thoroughly communist. And suddenly we've been reminded, wait a minute, there is communism in this world. 
When our naval spy plane was intercepted and brought down by those two Chinese fighter planes, all of a sudden we all had to be reminded once again, number one, communism is still a political and military ideology alive and well on planet Earth. And number two, the peaceful coexistence of communism and capitalism is terribly fragile. Come on, let's be honest. Which is why, and this is just a little pastoral aside here, but I need to insert this. Which is why Christianity ought not to be identified with either. We are in trouble when we identify with one to the exclusion of the other. Now, of course, it's true as Americans. Of course, we pray for the speedy return of the 24 naval personnel. But as Christians... My dear friends, as Christians, we must be praying for the peaceful resolution of all military, all political conflict, so that the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ might go unimpeded to all the world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Hey, are you in my kingdom? Yep. Good. Then you have a higher citizenship than the land to which you now belong. My kingdom is not of this world. But speaking of communism, Karl Marx, does that name ring a bell? When was the last time we thought, oh, there's his face on the screen. When was the last time we talked about Karl Marx, the German philosopher who was essentially the, the 19th century intellectual fa- founder and father of communism? He wrote the famed book, and all you, all you college students know the book, Communist Manifesto. In this book with his fellow German author, Friedrich Engel, Marx makes a case saying that the only way to ensure a happy and harmonious society is to eliminate through class struggle. Eliminate all classes. Get rid of the wealthy who have everything at the top. Bring them all down to parity so that communis, in common, we can have everything. Thus was born and birthed communism. All for one and one for all. And that's what the book of Acts is describing here. Although some people get so excited about this, and I'm thinking particularly of liberation uh, theologians, who say, ah, hey, the book of Acts is actually advocating Christian socialism for the church. Sort of a Christian communism. You know, you have a commune and you have this common purse and everybody puts into the common purse. That, my friends, is a misreading of the book of Acts. I'll tell you why. I'll give you four reasons why. This is not supporting communism because, number one, you have the tragic story immediately after this of Ananias and Sapphira. And the story illustrates it was all done voluntarily. It was not, okay, everybody has to do it. No, 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 no. Ananias, did you, did you come up with this? See, it was all voluntary. Number two, Luke carefully points out in both uh, two, chapter two and chapter four, that the proceeds were distributed as the people had need. It's not just take all the money, put it in a pot, and then divide it up equally. No, 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 no. Those who didn't need the pot could live without those proceeds. Number three, in fact, it was common in the time of Christ for Jewish groups to have a common purse. And you remember Jesus said, hey, Judas, would you, would you, you mind, you got an MBA, do you mind being the one to kind of hold on to the purse for us? The Gospel of John twice tells us a purse for, for the poor. And then number four, What begins at the beginning of Acts does not continue through the rest of the New Testament. So it it was unusual at the beginning. People were giving up. They're being rejected, cut off from family and friends. You know, I stand up for Jesus. My friends and my family cut me off. We'll take care of you because we are community. How does it go? All for one and one for all. It was a concept of community that was much deeper than the sharing of possessions. You know what it was? 
It was a sharing of emotions. Community is not just about, hey, you can have my stuff. Community means you can have myself. You can have me. Which is precisely the point Paul is trying to make. In fact, you know what? This point is so, so significant. Let, let, let's look the verse up. It, we'll, we'll put it on the screen, but I want you to see it right in your own Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know the words well, but I think if we, we looked at them in our own Bible, maybe you'd put a little circle by it or a star in the margin. This is what community is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just one line. Just one. Verse 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, how does it go, folks? Church, read it out loud. If one member suffers, what happens? Everybody suffers. And if one member is honored, how does it work? Everybody rejoices. You know, that's, quite, that's quite a statement. Because you, you and I, if you're suffering, I can identify with you. But I'm going to tell you in a setting like this, it's a little harder to rejoice. I mean, hallelujah, you got your third doctorate. Praise God. Hallelujah. Not minding the fact, of course, that you don't even have your first one yet. It's very hard to rejoice with those. Who get, you got your you. You got that published. You got that grade in that class. Wow. It's hard to rejoice, you know, to, to, to celebrate somebody else's honor where it's a little harder to do. But hey, he, that's what Paul is saying. He says that the, the, this business of communis, this business of community is not just sharing our stuff. It's sharing ourself with one another. So that you know what? If you come to work on Monday, if you come to work crying and I find out about it, I'm going to cry with you. I don't know. I'm just going to cry with you. If you come to church today and I meet you and you're laughing, man, I'm going to laugh with you. If you come home to my, to my neighbor, the house next door is my neighbor. You come home hurting and I find out about it, I'm right over there. I'm on your doorstep and I am hurting with you. You come to me and you say, hey, Dwight, I just come from the dormitory and we are partying. Then I'm going to party with you. Whatever it is, I want to be a hearty party part of it, see? You say, listen, if you come to me, if you come to me, my friend, lonely... Then I lonely with you until you're lonely no more. See, that's community. All for one and one for all. They don't give you stuff. You give yourself. Now, what a difference. Because it's so easy just to get rid of stuff. Community. Communis. All for one, one for all. Because I'm for you. Community. Community. Remember that word community because, ladies and gentlemen, it is the very reality that we are so short on in our third millennial society. My friend Alan Mitchell, who also is in the music department, director of the Wind Symphony, sent this to me a few months ago. I like this. It's called The Paradox of Our Time. May I read this to you? Just a few lines from this uh, Reading, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. We have wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. What's up with that? We have more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I take it back. Scratch that line. I, I forgot this is a university parish. Okay. 
We have more knowledge, but less judgment. We have more experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We drink too much, we smoke too much, we spend too recklessly, we laugh too little, we drive too fast, we get too angry too quickly, we stay up too late, we get up too tired, we read too little, we watch TV too much, we pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. Oh, oh. we talk too much, love too seldom. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. Yeah, the paradox of our times. It's true, isn't it? Driven, 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 driven. Andrews University, pioneer, driven. I am so, I am so driven, I don't have... What do you mean you need my... I have no time for you. Why are you crying? I wish I could stop and ask, but if I ask, I'm going to find out. And then you're going to expect me to stop and cry with you. I don't have the time to cry right now. Cry alone, will you? Isn't it true? The very technologies, by the way, that were supposed to have liberated us, have separated us. Driven. Driven right away and driven right out of community. I just don't have time. Well, but, but, of course, that's not our problem in here. That's their problem out there, right? I'm going to read to you now an anonymous letter that was sent to me since this series, Am I My Brother's Keeper, began a few days ago. I read the letter in its entirety to our pastoral staff on Monday in our staff meeting. Let me read a few excerpts to you. Dear Dwight, no name at the end. I don't know if you know me or not. We've met, but I know that you meet many. I kind of wanted to write this letter a long time ago, but after listening to your sermon this Sabbath on being my brother's keeper and them being mine, I decided it was probably time I said something. I have been a member for going on nine years at Pioneer with one break of about nine months. I have been a student as well as an individual working in the community. So this person has lived on both sides of the fence that is in our parish. I prefer to remain anonymous as I am not interested in a contrived response to this letter. I don't have a gripe against you personally. I don't know you well enough to know if I should hold you responsible in the same way I hold the community in general or not. When I first moved to the area with my family, I was intimidated by the size of this church. I still am. I do appreciate the quality of the sermons and the music here. My real rub is that I have never felt at home here. Nine years. As a single student here, I always felt like I was perceived as a member of another community and therefore not in need of a church family. I was told that things are different after you get married and assimilated into the, into the community. When I got married, my wife and I made significant effort to be involved. We went through the Discovery Seminar. We did this because we wanted to be involved and to, thought we might make friends in the process. No such luck. We joined a small group to, tr to try to make friends, but the group remained formal and about whatever topic we were studying, despite our efforts to try to create more involved relationships, we were both lonely for true loyal friends and had many discussions on this topic. We tried inviting people to our home and did many things to try to foster relationships with other members to no avail. My wife and I are now divorced. A reality of which I am ashamed. But I believe that God has forgiven my sins as well as hers in this matter. 
I don't know if having close friends would have completely solved our problems, but having some support surely would have helped. I thank God that He loves me and is there for me, because if He wasn't, I would be completely alone here. I have no intention of abdicating my responsibility here because it's my response to His love, but I have to say, it is a very lonely thing. I, at times, battle significant depression, wishing I could just cease to exist like Job, though I would probably not curse my mother's womb. This church has been the loneliest place I have ever been. My secular colleagues seem more interested in my well-being than my church family. I've sat in this church alone for several years now, and I have not once been approached or engaged in any kind of a meaningful conversation, much less invited to dinner at someone's home. In fact, in the almost nine years I have, I've been here, I can't remember having been invited to homes except when my mother was here and we first moved. Since she's moved away several years ago, I've been almost entirely alone. Sure, I hear, Happy Sabbath! From the greeters most of the time, but I never thought of a family relationship as this church is supposed to be, to be one of a simple weekly passing of pleasantries. Finally, I don't know how to solve this problem. All I know is that I am scared, lonely, and at times disenchanted with this place. I keep thinking that it will change, but I've been waiting a long time. It's not like I'm even ugly or or unapproachable or rude. And even if I were those things, it shouldn't matter. I may be a little intense at times, but I am not unlovable. God loves me. Why can't someone hear? Signed, sincerely, an anonymous, lonely brother. At least I'd like to be someone's brother. He includes a P.S., which I'll read at the end. How do you put it here? God loves me. Why can't someone hear? Ladies and gentlemen, what is it going to take for the church at the end to become like the church in the beginning? Huh? All for one. One for all. Go back to Acts 2. I want to, uh, we have to end back here in Acts 2. Let's reread those lines again. Take me a while to find it like you. Back to Acts 2. I want to read, what was this church like in the beginning? Is the church at the ending? Could we become like this? Let's read the last two verses of Acts 2. Back to verse 46. Day by day, speaking of Christian community. Is, is joy there? Oh boy, you got the right number. She's here. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home together. And they ate their food with extreme joy and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number. You know, a community on the go is a community on the grow. It's just going to keep growing. People want, man, i got to be a part of that. If they've got community, count me in. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What's it going to take for the church at the end, to be like the church at the beginning. Stephen C. Neal, one of the great Christian proponents of unity, really in the ecumenical movement in the last century, he wrote some astounding words about community, and I'd like to put them on the screen and have you read them there. Within the fellowship of those who are bound together by personal loyalty to Jesus Christ, 
Oh, I like this. The relationship of love reaches an intimacy and intensity unknown elsewhere. Friendship between the friends of Jesus of Nazareth is unlike any other friendship. Is that true? There's no other friendship on earth like friends between friends who share Jesus of Nazareth. He goes on, this ought to be the normal experience within the Christian community. That in existing Christian congregations, it is so rare, is a measure of the failure of the church as a whole to live up to the purpose of its founder for it. Where it is experienced, especially like at Andrews, across the barriers of race, nationality, and language, it is one of the most convincing evidences of the continuing activity of Jesus among men and women. Did you get that line? How do you put it here? Friendship between the friends of Jesus of Nazareth is unlike any other friendship. I know what you're thinking. You say, oh, Dwight, great. I mean, what does this mean? Building Christian community means we have to be bosom buddies with everybody. I've got to go find this anonymous guy, whoever he is, and now I've got to be his best friend. Is that what it means? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. He did end his letter, God loves me. Why can't someone here, which isn't exactly an appeal to become best friends, but having a friend would sure help. I like the way an author who, oh boy, did she have a passion for building community. I like the way she put it here a hundred years ago. I want to put her words up on the screen. Take a look. Stephen C. Neal, the great theologian, is he right? Well, yeah, I got somebody else who says, yep, he's right. She writes here, things will go wrong with everyone Something's going to go wrong in your life someday, folks. Come on. If you're living on a, in, a, in, a, in a bed of roses right now, those roses are going to wilt one day. Count on it. Our friend went through a divorce during his nine years here. Things go wrong with everybody. Sadness and discouragement press every soul. We're all going to experience this. Then it is a personal presence, a friend who will comfort and impart strength, will turn back the darts of the enemy that are aimed to destroy. Our anonymous friend says, you know, I'm going through depression right now. You know, even my secular colleagues are more of a family to me. The darts saying, hey boy, come on, nobody needs you here. Get out of here. You don't belong. They don't care for you. The darts of the enemy. One friend turns back those darts. I love that. And then get this line. Christian friends are not half as plentiful as they should be. Too busy. Too busy. In hours of temptation, in a crisis, what a value is a true friend. I thank God for my friends who will counsel, who will impart magnetic hopefulness. Do you have a refrigerator door like we do at our house? Huh? has a thousand magnets on it. Have you noticed you can slam that door a hundred times and not one magnet even budges? I love those magnets. Magnetic hopefulness. When you have a friend who comes up and says, Hey, are you crying right now? Are you lonely right now? Are you hurting? Let me put the magnet of hope on your heart. It'll never shake off. Magnetic hopefulness. I love that. Who will impart magnetic hopefulness? Who will impart the calming faith that uplifts the soul? Oh, now catch this. Oh, such help is worth more than precious pearls. End quote. How much is community worth? Ladies and gentlemen, look at this screen. Much more than precious pearls. That's Christian community. Look at the screen. That is Christian community. That's all our anonymous friend wants. 
Somebody to befriend him, draw him into community. I mean, how hard would it be for you to be a community for him, huh? I mean, it's not very hard at all. I mean, this is so simple. I like the way Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful translation of the New Testament, the message, puts it. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2, 42, from the message. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the common life. I do like that. Well, the common meal is actually number three. Bumped into the uh, microphone to the cello. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Let me read that again. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. My friends, that's how you grow community. That's it. You got those four essentials? You got them down? You can grow community. All right, what are these four essentials? Let me put them back on the screen one more time before we hurry out of here. I know we're very busy and don't have much time. Let's go to, uh, let's go to number one. Thank you, thank you. You know, this is the ball season now. They just started baseball. When a fan goes to baseball, you know what they're praying? Oh, I beg of you going to extra innings, more money, more, more buck for the money. So this is, uh, pray the same when you come to church. Okay, number one. The teaching of the apostles. Well, we already noted that. What is that? That's the word. How does he put the next one? The life together. They, they did, you can't get 3,000 people who've just been baptized into one little room. Are you kidding? They were all over the city, all over the country. The life together. That's community. The word, the group, the common meal. I like that translation. They shared food. You know what? It's not important that we have four-course entrees when we go to each other's houses. Cheerios and some applesauce and milk is fine. All I want to do is sit across the table from you and just enjoy not eating alone at home. Just give me something. We, you know, we, we become this Miss Manners. Who, who's this woman on TV that does... Martha, what's her name? Martha Stewart. You know, we just... Oh, my. Martha, what shall I do? You don't have to be Martha Stewart to have somebody home. Just serve them a bowl of those Cheerios. All right, the word, the group, the bread, and then, I like this, the prayers. Oh, come on, you know how to pray? What do you have to do, pray in the King James English? No. Two people start a community. Two people going to their forever friend together. That's the prayers. What is so difficult about the prayers? Four. I'm telling you, any student can remember these four. We're going to give you a quiz. Can you remember the four students? Four. Any faculty member can remember these four. Any community member can remember these four. And in case you forget these four, just remember this. Acts 2, 4, 2. What's the, what's the double of two? Four minus two is what? Two, four, two. You've got it right there. You will never forget. If you go to Acts, Acts 24.2, as soon as you read it, you say it's the wrong one. Then you go to 2.42. You cannot go wrong. You cannot remember these four. I just made sure you will never forget them for the rest of your life. Now, these are the four essentials of growing a community. It's so simple, you don't have to even write it down. But so that we will not forget... Our board of under, uh, elders, under the very able leadership of John and Kathy Dibdahl, have begun the most serious and sustained effort yet to build community in this congregation. You know what they and our elders have been doing? They've been dividing up this huge 3,000-member parish, which is spread out all over the map of Michiana into tiny little communities. Some of you got a letter not too long ago saying, you have now an elder team that is, that is going to be overseeing, shepherding that community. They're going, to be, they're going to be 
When they're on your doorstep or when they're on the phone, I want you to know they're not there to spy. They're not there to pry. They're going to come with the Word. They're going to come with some bread. They're going to come with the group. They're going to have prayers. And their whole passion with this new ministry is to begin to create community where we are. They have calling cards that look exactly like mine because that's what they're doing. They're bringing the ministry of a shepherd. I'm telling you, I'm so proud of our board of elders. If they could just sit around and talk about community, they could sit around and pray about community. But with John and Kathy and this elders team, they are saying, no, no, no. We have got to build community. And so when they come to your door, I want you to know that's why they're coming. They're saying, hey, come on, we're going to meet over in this house over here. And the five of us families are going to get together and bring your Cheerios when you come. We're going to have bread together. I'm so proud of them. You, oh, by the way, though, you don't have to wait till they come. You, yay. you don't have to say, well, I'm not starting a community until an elder knocks on my door. Nah, forget it. Community's ready to start right now. All you need is one other person. You plus one other person. You can become a committee of one and begin to build a community of five. Just start with two. Now, look. Before we leave, I've got to read this email I got from one of our university faculty. I like this. This is since our last sermon. He sent this. He's in the university here. Hey, bro, love your Sabbath homily. Powerful stuff. Mess with us. This is needed. What community? Stir us up. Help us to see that we need one another, not just for being a pal. That's a good start. But also for the walk we each have. For there is no better place to know a brother or sister is hurting than taking time to do something together. Hey, the world does it. And it's called, among other things, a coffee break. Well, that's a concept, isn't it? Coffee break. We wouldn't call it that here, but uh, you know, just a little break. A good example of this is seen just about every morning at the Dam Cafe. Can't think of the name of it, but it's on the other side of the dam going towards Niles. I am there about once a week with a colleague or two, but I see the same people there. Howard Knapp, superintendent of the Berrien Springs Schools. Howard McLaughlin of real, real estate fame, etc. They know us. We know them. It is always a blessing. I just wish I could do it more often. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not take a rocket scientist to create community. It just means meet. Meet. Meet at the cafe. Meet in your office. Meet in a classroom. Your dormitory room is just perfect. Meet in a, meet in your home. But meet. You may meet our anonymous friend. You may meet him. You may. Who knows? Oh, by the way, he did write a P.S. to his letter. And I want to read that P.S. to you before sitting down. P.S. If you read this or a part of it to the church. Okay, so I have to fulfill this obligation. Please include the following request to the members here. Look around you. You might be sitting next to me or someone just as lonely and in need of a friend as I am. Don't wait till next week. Do something about it now. Even if you don't find me, whoever you do find will be thrilled that someone really cares. But don't let it be a single contact to appease a guilty conscience. We need a real friend. We need to be loved. We need you. You are all that some of us have. Wow. You are all that some of us have. You know what, my friends? It's time. It's time.
We've gone to the world on satellite. Hallelujah. We've built up a radio and television ministry. Hallelujah. We've built up Sabbath schools here, second to none. We've built two towering new wings. Thank you, Jesus. But now we need to start seriously building community on this campus and in this congregation. What do you say? The time is right. And it starts with just one. All for one and one for all. You're that one. Again, become a committee of one and build a community of five. Please, please, please. There was a group, a recording group some years ago who sang a song, and you may recognize this song, that began with these words, One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Ladies and gentlemen, Calvary is the loneliest that you can ever get. But do you know what? Jesus died on that cross. Look at that cross on the screen. He died on that cross all alone so that we would never again have to live alone. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, please help me find our anonymous friend. Because as he wrote, you are all that some of us have. Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, one has got to be the loneliest number that anybody would ever do. We just read an anonymous letter that says, guess what, it's true. But in the towering shadow of Calvary, you remind us you were the loneliest a human can ever be so that we would never have to be lonely again. Holy Christ, what will it take for the church at the end to become like the church in the beginning, the extreme joy of community. Dear Jesus, please, do whatever you need to do, but would you just take us one and one and one and one and one and make us that committee of one to begin building that community of two and three and four and five. Holy Christ, you come back for a family. We want to be that community before you come. And now may the God who poured out His love in an expression of community between heaven and earth and the Son who came down to us that we might see and know that community and the Holy Spirit, whose communion brings the love of God alive in our midst, journey with you and me as we begin to build community for Him. Amen.